welcome to the Boss of My Money Keeping It Real podcast show, your number one choice for bite-sized lessons on how to take care of your coins and achieve financial success. I am your host, Esther Bangura, personal finance educator, budgeting expert, and money coach at Boss of My Money. So whether it's improving your money mindset, developing a wealthy mindset, becoming debt-free, saving money, or learning how to invest. Say no more because you are in the right place. And if you want to get started with paying yourself first, why not get your hands on one of my amazing freebies, the free financial wellness checklist at bossofmymoney.com slash financial wellness checklist. Now it's time to put the kettle on, make yourself a cup of tea and join me in today's episode. Be sure to hit subscribe so you don't miss any new episodes. So today I'm joined by an amazing guest, Natasha Percy Batzler, who is a wealth manager, financial planner based in the UK, and she's also a qualified financial planner. I'll have you. So welcome to the podcast, Natasha. I am so happy to have you. Would you like to tell us more about yourself, who you are and what you do? Hi, Esther. Yep. Thank you for having me. Very excited to be on the podcast. We were just chatting. It's taken the universe to keep us apart up until this point, but it couldn't do it any further. So very happy to be chatting with you today. Me too. Bit of a background on me. So yes, I am fully qualified as of this morning, which is very exciting. I just got the results through for my final financial planning exam, which was about the kind of the practice side. I know, exciting times. <laughs> Congratulations. That is so amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. I Yeah, I think it's going to take a little while to sink in, to be honest. It's been about, I think I started the first two January last year. So it's definitely taken a bit of a while to get here, but very happy days to, to yeah, to be fully qualified now very exciting (laughs) so did you have a set of six exams that you needed to do prior to getting qualified exactly so when I applied basically for St James's Place Academy and they run a fast track to help people get into the industry especially second careerists like myself and part of the application process once you have been accepted onto the academy is that originally they requested one exam but by the time I finished the application process they asked for two exams I got accepted end of January 2021 and I started on the course in March so I had about six weeks I think it was to pass two exams happily managed to pass both of those first time and then the academy is split into two parts the first part is all about trying to help you through the exams and they help you through five out of the six which are all the kind of the theory things so it's there's an exam on taxation there's an exam on pensions there's an exam on protection so it's all really focused on that side and then the final exam they suggest that you hold off doing it for a while because it's based on real life experiences so they're like we'd rather you go out in the field and actually meet with clients and really build up your own knowledge before sitting this exam and it only happens uh, a couple of times a year um, and you have to wait, I think it is, what, about six weeks for the results. So it's been a nice patient wait up until this morning to get the results. <laughs> I can imagine. It seems like it's been a very busy year or so for you preparing for the exams. And I think it's great that you're qualified. We definitely need more women in the financial planning space. We'll obviously get to know a bit more about you, Natasha, and what you do. But a big congratulations on your qualification. And I hope you do something really special to celebrate your success. Thank you. Yes, definitely going to go out and celebrate this evening once all the the work is done for the day. (laughs) 
Amazing. I'd love for you to share your personal finance journey. Let us know how your relationship with money was growing up. What sort of money mistakes did you make in your sort of early 20s? And what would you say your money achievements that you are proud of have been so far? That's a very loaded question. (laughs) (laughs) So growing up with money, it was a mixture. My parents got divorced when I was quite young. And so things were quite tumultuous growing up. So you never really knew how things were going to pan out, basically. So the way, and I'm someone who's got, I say now, a very positive mindset, how I look at things. So I'm like, that built resilience and that built adaptability and all these kind of things. But it definitely meant that you just weren't quite sure how things were going to pan out in terms of schools and all that kind of thing. And on the whole, I am quite privileged the background I came from. So I did end up going to things like boarding schools and things like that. So that, that definitely brought a lot of structure into my life. But in terms of Money, it was, again, something that didn't necessarily get spoken about. It wasn't like we all sat down around a table and were like, okay, let's talk about your tax and pensions and how all these things work. It was definitely a taboo and you do not talk about it. So much so, I definitely look back and I'm like, before I took it on myself to educate myself financially, I made so many mistakes looking back. And it's one of those things I didn't realize with ISAs you could set one up each year I thought you had an ISA and that was it and you couldn't keep paying in so that's definitely was a learning curve for me yeah and another one definitely was pensions as well I didn't realize you could have different pensions I just thought there was I knew there was a workplace pension and I did actually sign up to that as soon as I started working but I thought it was the same thing as a state pension. And I worried very much that it wasn't going to be around because I kept hearing about all oh, the age goes up and the government doesn't have the funds to be able to pay an aging population, uh, especially one that's living so long. So I was like, oh, I am paying into it, but I'm pretty sure it's not going to be around by the time I come to retire. Didn't realize those were different things. So that's, again, a big learning curve. Yeah. And I love that you gave those examples because I feel like still to this day, a lot of people don't quite understand ISAs and how pension works. So thank you for touching on that for sure. Natasha, what are some of the achievements that you are proud of when it comes to money management? One of them I definitely feel is the fact that I took it on myself recently to become educated about it. I originally had a career in children's publishing and I then did a bit of a leap of faith and moved across to corporate finance. And when I moved across, I realized that I really needed to take the time to educate myself outside of the job. I just wanted to build my kind of understanding in that area. And I found a resource called Vestpod that was running courses and how to intro to investment for women. And was the idea of that idea of building up financial understanding for women because I feel like overall it's something that doesn't really come up no one really sits the weekend or when they're out with each other being like hi guys let's chat about our finances and that was a really nice space to be able to ask a t- I'm sorry like I didn't like to ask questions when I was younger but definitely as I've got older I feel more comfortable asking questions and I was asking loads and that's how I found out about ISAs and the different kinds that there are and what the kind of rules are around them and it was just nice to be in a space where they made talking about finance feel comfortable and that no question was a wrong question so yeah it was scary to push myself out of my comfort zone to go to an event like that but I think it's one of the best things because it really sparked my interest in finance and the fact that it's not something that's being catered to the masses at the moment it's not it's not on the school curriculum and it's very much if you want to know finances you have to take it on yourself and that's definitely something that I've been trying to do since then. 
Yeah, and I feel like it's something that everybody should try and do because you took it upon yourself to learn and become curious about how money works. And really, personal finance, that's where it starts from. If you want to improve your financial situation, if you want to change your money habits, whether it's to be better at budgeting, whether it's to finally have that savings, whether it's to build up your pension and invest in your ISAs, it really does start with you taking ownership, taking on that personal responsibility, that regardless of what happened in my childhood, whether they were good examples, bad examples, whether I came from a rich, poor family, you take that personal responsibility for yourself in order to get to where you want to be. So you are that perfect example of somebody that's made that happen for themselves. So well done on that. Thank you. Yeah, exactly. I think, yeah, financial education is such a kind of important thing because our finances impact everything if we're struggling with our finances that kind of infiltrates every area of life you're going to maybe struggle to to sleep because you're stressing about it you'll be worrying at work am i getting enough money to be able to pay the bills so it can be a massive stressor and that's why actually uh when i was going through the academy and setting up my business i took it on myself to actually train to be able to provide education financial education both to workplaces and to school so that's something i'm really passionate about is being able to go out there and speak to people and really help build that financial education that is really interesting because i was actually talking about a friend who's she's also trying to create a program for companies and workplaces And one of the things, she works in the mental health space, and one of the things that we were talking about is how a lot of employers, in order for their staff to be well in the workplace and to thrive, they also have to understand that there are external factors that impact that. So like you mentioned, things like finance, a lot of people binge just like finance, it can impact how they perform at work. So I think it's really good that you're going to be doing something now and in the future to be able to support companies on how they can support employees to be able to thrive in the workspace because I know that when I'm stressed about money everything in my life is impacted by that my relationship my husband my family you could just see it on my face that I'm stressed so I do try to personally manage any stress that I have around my finances and one of the things that I do is just stay on top of it I find that if I stay on top of things if I know where my money is going even if there's times where I might not be in a good place. Like I may not have as much savings as I want. I may have not been able to invest for two months because I had other priorities. As long as I know where every penny is, then that usually helps me to control any money stress that may want to arise. Totally. Yeah. And one of the figures that came up when I was doing this is it's that 94% of employees admit that they worry about money and even 16% of the adult population worry about money daily. So it's definitely something that can have a big impact on, yeah, on our mental health as well as every other area. And the area that we're in with the cost of living, um, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say what energy provider, but they tried to tell me that in order for me to go on a fixed rate it may cost me 374 pounds a month for my gas and electric and I just said no thank you I'm hoping to call back because the rates are going up in October so I'm currently on a quite affordable variable rate but I'm literally calling them every week to see how much I can get on a fixed for before October but yeah it's like now even the more financial planning financial management so if you're somebody who was listening to this podcast and you were just getting started on your financial journey, 
then I really want to encourage you to take it serious and to take that personal responsibility and ownership to be able to get your finances in order. And obviously, as we continue on this episode, Natasha is going to be sharing some tips around wealth management. And actually, to move on to that, so I read that your passion for wealth management started when you worked for a boutique corporate finance firm. And you've already mentioned a bit about that, but would you like to tell us more? Yes, yeah, I was actually going to quickly jump back into what you were saying about the energy price cap going up in October, because... I actually got asked to comment for a Financial Times advisor article this week about the fact it's due to also go up at the start of next year again. So it's scary times we're living through when it comes to bills and all of that. There's no point kind of bearing head in the sand. Like there's definitely increases coming up and they asked my thoughts around it. And I just gave an overview of the advice that I would generally give to clients around this. And one is to double check with energy providers if they provide any support. So quite a few of the main ones. So I don't know who you're with, but people like Scottish Power, Bulb, EDF, they do offer support if you reach out to them. And the one that I found particularly interesting was British Gas has set up a particular fund to be able to help people, whether they're customers or not, which is the first time I've ever heard of an energy provider doing that. So that's something worth considering with the kind of upcoming increase in bills. Yeah, that's really useful. And what I'll do as well, I'll get the link from you on that article and I'll add it in the description of this episode so you can go and have a read at that. But yeah, definitely reaching out to your service providers and yeah, just be honest with them. If you're not able to afford the rates that they're giving you, just be honest with them. I think at this point, making sure that all of your priority bills are up to date. Go through your budget so you know exactly how much you have coming in and going out. So when you make these calls, you're able to give them those figures and you'll call in knowing how much you can afford because they will ask you, how much do you think you can afford? And you'd need to have done your budget in order to be able to provide them those figures. Totally, yeah. It's better to be prepared and to, yeah, exactly to address it and just do what you can, really, yeah. Yeah. So tell us more about where your passion for wealth management started from. Do you know, actually, it's so funny. Wealth management didn't actually start until I left the corporate finance place. Um, I did enjoy working there and I learned so much about finance generally. And we were helping companies with mergers and acquisitions and rounds of funds and all that kind of side. So I definitely learned a whole new kind of side of finance as an industry. But I just felt like it wasn't quite aligning with my skill set and what I felt I could really bring to to a role. And so it was only once I handed in my notice and they were like, oh, where are you going? And I was like, to be honest, I have no idea. I just know I need to to take a bit of time out to figure out what I'm doing. And they were like, you're aware we're in the middle of global pandemic. And I was like, yes, probably not the best timing. I might look back to massively regret this, but I genuinely am someone who believes you only live once. And worst case scenario, and it turns out I don't figure out what I want. Can we talk about me coming back? I might look at something else. I was like, I want to keep my options open, but I definitely want to really spend a bit of time to figure out what I want to be doing with my life. And so I had a book recommended to me called What Colour Is Your Parachute? And it's got all these kind of worksheets that you go through to help you figure out what your key passions are in terms of looking for a job that aligns with that, what your skills are. So again, making sure that you are tapping into a job that really brings the best out of you, basically. And it was from doing that that I realized that I wanted to be a wealth manager. And I thought this sounds really exciting, but I also don't really know what it is. (laughs) So I now need to spend a bit of time figuring out what exactly that entails. (laughs) 
So yes, I found a podcast called a Financial Planner Life Podcast. And the guy who runs it, Sam, interviews people who are already in the industry, whether that's they're quite new to it or they've been in it for many years. And it he asked them, how did they get into it? Which was for me the most relevant part because I didn't know that. I didn't know if you had to retrain to get into it or if I could just get a kind of a low level job and kind of work myself up the career ladder. And so it was through listening through those podcasts that I heard about St. James's Place, which is the biggest wealth manager in the UK. And the fact that they run an academy that helps you transition across and they really like the idea of appealing to second careerists so people who've got as far as they can in their careers or no longer want to be in that career or potentially someone whose career doesn't continue so it might be that they're a professional athlete or they're in the military and they're looking for that kind of next step and they help you transition across so it's a six month course the first three months is all focused on helping you through the exams and then the second half is all kind of getting you ready to go out into the big world and to be able to meet with clients to be able to do the research pull everything together and be able to help them and yeah, that was the best way for me to enter this industry. Wow, your journey and story is really inspiring because normally we hear, have a plan and, you know, don't leave one job when you don't have a plan for the next one. And really and truly, sometimes that is some people's reality and other times it's not. Um, mm-hmm. You and I have that in common because I resigned from my previous job in April I didn't quite have a plan B as such. I just continued with my business full time. But I did want to go into another career, but I just wasn't sure what that was. But for me, it was more completely closing that door, really bringing that chapter to an end so that I could have more clarity about what the new chapter needed to be. So just for anybody who is listening, who they might be at the phase where they want to change careers, you might like what you do but you don't like the company you work with you might like the company but you don't like the job there's different reasons why Mm -hmm. people would want to leave their job change careers want more pay you're moving so you need to apply for a new job whatever the reason may be it's okay if you don't have a plan b and you just have to accept that but if you quit one job or you resign from one job do you have money to survive for the next few months i think that's the main thing and Even if you don't, you just have to be okay with knowing that, okay, if I quit my job and I don't have money to survive the next few months, it's going to be a hard couple of months and you have to be okay with that. Obviously, you want to be in a position where you have some sort of savings so that you can at least just stay on top of your priority bills. But it's okay if you don't quite know what the next plan is in terms of your career. And just like what Natasha mentioned, it's a journey that you go on. So she started off with reading a book and she got inspiration out of that book. And then she went on to find the podcast and that kind of helped her in learning about how to get started in her new career. So know that sometimes knowing what your next step is or your next phase in life is, that in itself is a journey that you go on. And just go out of your way, step out of your comfort zone to be able to go out on that journey. So for me, I started another nine to five role. And this role really ties more with my purpose and what I've been trying to do for the past 20 years of my career. Amazing. Yeah, which is like being more in a people orientated change management kind of industry. And I've been like, three weeks in the role but I'm really loving it it just feels right and I'm able to do that alongside running my business so enough of the run from me it's okay 
if you don't necessarily have that clear picture about what your next career is, just go on the journey in order to discover that. Totally. And the thing I would add to that as well is try and speak to people who if you have a sense of where you might like to go even if you have a sense of maybe oh these are five places I might like to shift into just see if you can reach out to people on Instagram or on LinkedIn and just say I'd really like to find out a bit more about it can we go for a coffee I'm actually someone for a coffee this afternoon it's done the exact same thing to me which in a way blows my mind because I haven't even run my business for a year yet but I'm definitely an advocate of pass it on and so I if anyone ever had questions I would never be like no I don't have time for you I'm very much I think it's a really a great thing to be able to help people to learn about an industry yes I could I couldn't agree more so we've talked a lot about wealth management I would like us to define that for anyone who may not be familiar with this concept how would you define what wealth management is So I think that's something I definitely struggle with at the beginning because I can't find a definitive definition of it. So I think people can make of it what they will. The way I interpret it is it's helping people to manage their money. And the way that you go about that is I very much believe it's about kind of goal setting. So I really take the time to sit down with clients and understand what's important to them because I believe if you give your money meaning, you are a lot likely to stick, more likely to stick with a plan. So I really take the time, probably half of my first meeting with a client is just getting to know them, what's important to them, who's important to them, where do they want to be working towards, what's their kind of ideal life. And then it's really understanding where they are now. So it's the idea of creating what I call as a life plan. So I can understand, you know, their ideal life. And then being able to take from that, then do the research and be able to help create that plan with them. And I see it as a partnership. So we're both in it together to help them achieve the goals they want to achieve. So it's very much taking the finances, but knowing, like I said earlier, that filters into everything else. So it's not just money for money's sake. It's, oh, we might be doing this because it means you can have an extra holiday a year, or it means you can retire a couple of years earlier, or it means you can buy that car that you've wanted to buy for the last however long. And it's just, it's it's knowing the purpose behind it. And that's how I see being a wealth manager is you pull out of people the why are we doing this? Why is it important to you? Why would you prefer this over that? And it's really giving a meaning to money management. We feel like the definition given should be in the Oxford Dictionary. If we can have that updated, that would be amazing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I think you defined it so well. And if I was to just summarize that, it's that wealth management is what you decide it is for you. As you said rightly, that the focus is around goal setting and really being clear about your dreams, your desires, and what it is that you want. And I love that you emphasize on giving like meaning to money because I think for so many people, money is just pain bills. They go to work. And they get paid at a certain day and then they just pay bills. And actually money can give you so much more. It can do so much more, but that so much more is how you define it. So really working with a financial planner, with a wealth manager and really sitting down with them to help you because, and I feel like for you and I, it's easy for us to talk about because we're familiar with the questions. For a lot of people, when I first started my financial journey, I didn't know the questions to ask. So the first time somebody said to me, what is your why for money? I was like, say what? I speak English, what do you mean? What is a why for my money? Yeah. Then I was like, oh, what is my why for my money? What is my goal? 
why am I working? Why do I need money? And once you start to ask and answer those questions, you begin to get so much more clarity. This is why we're not expecting you to know all the questions to ask. So working with a financial planner is your very first starting point because if anything, they're going to help you to ask yourself the right questions. Think about things that you may not necessarily think about or know that you should be thinking about them and setting the record straight like what Natasha mentioned earlier on she later discovered that oh you can actually contribute to your ISA every year that allowance resets itself every year and you can have more than one pension pot that you can contribute to so yes this is a plug to definitely work with a financial advisor at the Mm -hmm. earliest opportunity especially to get that clarity to set those goals and get you started the right way totally yeah what would you say that some of the barriers are that women face when it comes to wealth management and how can they overcome this and I know that we do have male listeners so please don't be offended the fact that this woman this question is directed at women but I think Natasha and I can both relate to women because we're both women and I just wanted to really focus on that what you feel are or what barriers that you've come across or noticed that are out there that women face when it comes to wealth management and how can they overcome this definitely yeah so I think the first thing I notice is I'd almost say it's it's the money mindset it's the sense that I think for a lot of women I've spoken to so far is it might be a case of they think you know either that I'm not not comfortable talking about finances I'd rather leave that to someone else so it could be a boyfriend or a parent or kind of someone else and be like I just don't want to take responsibility I don't want to get it wrong and I think that that's a big part of it is it's almost you're too people can be too scared to engage with it because the idea of making a wrong decision can feel like it's got such big consequences But I think it's so important to just take a bit of time to, again, don't dive straight into the deep end and start going into high risk investments. I definitely would not recommend that. But it's just listening to a couple of financial podcasts, such as Boss of My Money. It's reading a couple of articles online about finances. And I feel like a lot of even women's magazines are now starting to incorporate that. And I've written columns for, I used to write for Lizelle Wellbeing Magazine. And I know Good Housekeeping and all these other magazines have started incorporating it and trying to make it more understandable and I think it's don't put the pressure on yourself to understand everything straight away just break it down into bite-sized chunks it might be for a month or a couple of months just get your head around the idea of budgeting or the idea of pensions just take a bit of time one Sunday and I actually did this when I first started getting interested was just and it's not going to be the funnest of things I'm not going to lie but it's so worth it is just set aside a Sunday and just try and find your pension paperwork a lot of us nowadays move jobs a lot in the past it was you had one job for life and so it was very easy you know that pension was just with that one company but that's not necessarily how things work nowadays I've spoken to a client and she's got we're still trying to track them all down but I think we're up to six pensions now and it's just taking that time on a Sunday or something to be like I'm gonna collect all that paperwork and then it's it's and again, this is like the next stage of it. It's then saying, well, am I happy with how it's performing? Is it in the funds I want it to be in? Is it aligned with my attitude to risk? Am I happy with how much is going in there? Am I still contributing to any of these? And it's just, it's setting a bit of time every now and then. I'm not saying that do this every single day. I don't expect people to do that, but just 
taking a bit of time and reward yourself when you do it because yeah it can be quite daunting to sit and go through pensions or something like that do whatever you want to do afterwards have a glass of wine go meet for a friend to have a celebratory meal or just run a hot bath and like some nice candles celebrate the fact that you're taking the time to understand your kind of financial situation and doing what you can to make it better do you know what absolutely amazing sundays are my best days to work on my finances whether it's the budget whether it's to organize any letters that have come in the week and decide who i need to call so i love that you gave that tip and you're right it really does start with mindset i agree with you in that people are scared to take that step because they're scared of making a wrong decision and i would say what you said take baby steps but also work with a professional this is why people like myself and natasha are around because we get to guide you in the process so you're not having to do it alone and it's to shift your mindset around making a wrong decision i don't necessarily believe that sometimes there are wrong decisions I just feel that people don't have enough information to make the decision but as long as you have all the relevant information sometimes we don't always know what happened for example you know with COVID and everything nobody knew that was coming nobody knew that gas prices were going to go up that there was going to be a war with Russia and Ukraine and Although Russia is not in a physical war with UK and America, they are in an economic war. And so mm. these things are out of our control. So some people might feel like, oh, I wish I invested more. Or I wish I had saved more. I wish I'd cleared my debt off. And really, we can only do the best with what we have. And I think this is why it's important to be clear about your why and make sure that you're doing everything that you can in the now and that you are preparing for the future. But don't let making a wrong decision stop you from taking that step, stop you from being curious about how you can improve your finances. And there are lots of resources out there. And similarly, I have been noticing that a lot of non-related finance magazines and companies, they are talking about me. Because for years, we've just been focusing on health, appearance, mm. career development, relationship goals. And we just don't talk about money. And I know that money is a sensitive topic, um, but I feel like it has to be included in the everyday conversations. And rightfully, money is beginning to take its place in those conversations. And I'm definitely with you on the reward yourself. <laughs> definitely. Bit bit. Yeah, thank you for highlighting those barriers. And I know that a lot of our listeners will be able to relate and Natasha shared some great tips so feel free to rewind and get your make some notes and like always this podcast isn't just for you to listen to on your walks or when you're doing your cleaning it really is for you to note down you know the lessons and also the actions that you're going to take and do follow through in taking them because the results that you get in your finances it's not just the books that you read it's not just listening to the podcast or reading the articles. It's actually implementing what you're learning. That's what's going to get you the results that you need. Totally Amazing. At which stage in if do you suggest that we start thinking about wealth management and financial planning? How early should we get started with that? My honest answer is that it's never too early to start. I think the earlier you start, the easier it is. And there's a lot of research online and it's things like if you're saving towards a goal, obviously it's a lot 
easier the sooner you start because let's say you needed 250 pounds for a reason and it's if you needed that next month that might be for some people quite tricky to set aside but if you knew you needed it next year then you know that's the case of just putting aside five pounds a week and then by the end of the year you've got that 250 pounds so it's definitely I would say the sooner you start the better and it's one of those don't feel you have to be a certain level of wealth before you reach out to a wealth manager that's definitely another barrier I'm trying to break I speak to a lot of people and they go, oh, but I'm not I'm not extra wealthy. I'm not like a high net worth individual. A wealth manager isn't for me. And I'm really trying to make it more approachable and more that, you know, an area that people should be interested in and should feel is welcoming to them. But you don't have to be super wealthy to meet with a wealth manager. It's something that you should incorporate a lot earlier in life. And it's just it's something that's going to set you up so well. So I would say, yeah as soon as you can and again on the other side it's never too late as well I want to always stress that as well so people are like yeah. oh my gosh I've left it too late there's no point now no it's never too early it's never too late I think that you've definitely hit the nail on the hammer on both sides I wish I started earlier I think I don't believe in like money regrets I always say I call them money lessons but one of my mm. biggest money lesson is I wish that I started earlier But like you said, it's never too late. And for any young people that are listening, like what Natasha said, just start. The key is consistency and you have time to leverage. And time is such a big commodity, like you cannot buy any more time. So you have such a head start because you have that time to benefit from. So what means is that because you have that time, you can start with very little And it means that if you're saving or investing from early on, by the time you get to a certain age, you don't have to work as hard in order to build wealth and grow your money because you've given it that time to grow and compound. And so I started later. I started working on my finances in my mid-30s. And that was my biggest sort of wake-up call because I was like, oh my gosh, I'm in my mid-30s. I've always had a good job from as long as I can remember. I get paid a decent salary. I don't have any dependents. There's two incomes coming into this household. What have I got to show for it? Like what you mentioned at the start of the podcast is that by the time I retire, am I really going to have a state pension? It's probably going to be enough for me to get my nails done. Do you know what I mean? Like <laughs> I am yes, so yeah. not re- I'm not relying on that money at all. For me, it's just going to be a good to have because the state is suffering and I thought yes they do have a responsibility but we have to also take personal ownership and I think the more we keep pushing that ownership and responsibility on the government and the state to look after us the more debt they'll get us into the more wars they'll create and so actually I'd rather be in control of that and be in control of my future So it definitely isn't too late. And the key is working with a professional. If you can take away anything from this podcast amongst the great tips that we've shared is book a session with a financial professional. Have that first session, speak to them, let them ask you the questions, let them show you the roadmap and what your priorities need to be. But I definitely do think the earlier you start, the better. And even if you are not starting early, it's not too late. I think... What I say to my clients that are like in their sort of late 40s, 50s, I just say to them that it's not too late, but you have to understand what your options are. And there are just certain things that you have to accept, like you may have to work a little bit longer. But if you have the right 
sort of things in place, there's no reason why you can't retire and live a good life. You just have to be aware your options might be different and you may have to make some sacrifices, but it is possible. Definitely. Yeah, exactly. Totally agree with that. Great stuff. So just moving on to the next question. I'm really enjoying this conversation, by the way. Me too. Um, <laughs> having a great time. Um, yeah. Anybody that gets to work with you is definitely going to be fortunate. You have that personal experience and I think it always does help when we work with our clients, just having that understanding of some of the challenges that they've gone through. Totally. So, and I think, and I could just quickly ask another reason why I think people hesitate is they worry if they go speak to a wealth manager, someone who's got all that expertise, that they're going to be judged. And it's, oh, I should have known this and I should have done that. And I just reiterate, this wasn't taught in schools. This isn't something you're expected to know. And the other thing I always say is there's no stupid question. Ask me any question. Let's talk it through. If you don't understand things, I really try and make things as jargon free as possible, which I think the industry, if I can say, I think up until recently, liked the jargon it liked to sound impressive it liked to sound like i understand everything which obviously we all do but you don't and i very much want to change that and i'm like if you don't understand it too i'm not doing my job correctly i want to make sure like i said earlier we're partners like we both understand totally what we're doing together and so i've got to make sure that i put everything i discuss in a way that the person sitting across the table from me completely understands yeah I think some of my listeners may already be aware of this, but I'll share a story with you where when I realized that my finances were a complete mess and I needed help, I was scared to approach financial planners. And I remember going online and researching and they used all these big fancy words. They were all just talking about investing and I wasn't at that stage. So I felt like I didn't have enough wealth to work with a financial planner but I didn't have, I wasn't not earning enough that I needed to go to the job center. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Or to go to step change. It was like step change doesn't want anything to do with me because I'm earning enough money to pay my bills. And the financial planners, they just sound like they want to work with millionaires. And so I ended up finding a platform in America, Clever Girl Finance, that I talk about a lot and that I freelance yes. for. Yeah. I ended up finding them. And they were doing an accountability program that I signed up to. And that's what helped me start my financial journey. So I just, for me, this is why I created Boss of My Money podcast, because it was like, okay, for us in the UK, we should have to go all the way to the other side of the world to get the support that we need. So I'm just so impressed that you decided to change careers, become a financial planner. Um, because I feel like we do need it in the UK. So yeah. Just to throw really some stats out there as well for you. So a couple of things have come out recently. Only 16% of wealth managers in the UK are currently are women. So again, I'm trying to buck that trend, trying to get more women in there. So I think it's just, from my experience, it's a very welcoming space. It has definitely been a boys club in the past, but I feel as an industry, they're trying to change that. And then the other thing is in terms of age as well, the average age of a wealth manager is still 56. And there's 1% of financial advisors under the age of 35, which I currently just am in that 1%. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's definitely, I feel like an industry that is trying to change. And that's definitely something that I, not saying I necessarily am, but I would like to be one of the faces of being like, there is a whole new wave of financial planning and wealth management coming through. We want to make it approachable. We want to make it a place where people feel comfortable to meet with wealth managers and to have those difficult conversations. 
Yeah, and I definitely think you are part of that movement for sure. Definitely. I try. Thank you. We talked about the current era that we're in. How does one navigate wealth management in a recession? I know they haven't officially announced it, but with everything that's going on, considering how do we navigate? How can we build wealth? How can we stay on top of our finances and still have hope, not just for the future, but also for now? So the kind of the main thing I'm always trying to get across is better to be proactive than reactive. And so it's, as you said, nothing's been made official yet, but it's knowing things are approaching. And so it's taking steps now. And I've got a vision board next to me and it's got where you are a year from now is a reflection of the choices you chose to make today. And I totally stand by that. And I really try and do that both for myself, but also for my clients. So I'm like, what can we do now to prepare for yeah, exactly the economic future we've got coming up? And the first thing I would say is just making sure you've got what is referred to in the industry as an emergency fund, but I like to call it a thank goodness fund. And basically it's setting aside money. So it's I there. I love ready. that. <laughs> thank goodness I had that money to fall back on. Thank goodness I'm able to deal with this emergency. I absolutely love that. Thank you. Yeah, that's, that's one of those things, again, is I want to rebrand the way it's seen because emergency funds sound scary. It doesn't sound like something you really want to be involved in. But I feel like, yeah, exactly. If you can turn it into something different, turn it into a thank goodness fund and be like, oh, my gosh, the bills have gone up. But thank goodness, we've already been setting aside a certain amount per day, per week, per month. So we are a bit prepared for it. So that's usually the kind of first part, I would say, is just make sure you've got whatever you can put aside being put aside so you can start building that up so as the bills come in and they start increasing there's a bit of leeway that you've got available because of that and it's something that's easily accessible the other side of it is obviously the fact that we've got inflation going up and that's the highest that's been in 40 years so it's trying to put it in i would say the highest accessible savings account you can you need to be able to access it obviously based on what's potentially coming up but just i wouldn't leave it in your day-to-day account i would try and put an account where you at least get a little something to try and get close to to the impact of inflation and then the other thing is just if you have any debts i would say yeah try and prioritize them because the other thing is interest rates are going up we've had the highest increase since i think it was 1995 in terms of how much they've increased it so it's 1.75 percent is the current rate from the bank of england so that's going to trickle down so if you're a saver great hopefully you'll get slightly higher savings rates if you're you know borrowing money that has the same effect but on the other side of the balance shall we say so that's going to mean higher costs in terms of paying back things like mortgages so if you can either negotiate a better rate now or if there's any debts that you can look into paying off i would say those are the top priorities in that sense of trying to be as prepared as you can be for what's to come yeah and obviously with the stock market and everything there's we know that parts of the market are down the parts are still performing quite well because there are recession proof stocks that do really well during a session i did an instagram live the other day it was more of a rant because i had three coaching sessions and three of my clients it's like they they were all hanging out together and having the same conversation <laughs> but they were all three of them mentioned that pairing of these stock splits and i really think i should be investing because i want money now and so there are people that are of the impression that if they invest now then they can make that return now is there any thing that you can share on 
So my first three thoughts have come to to mind based on what you're saying. One, buying individual stocks is one of the highest risk things you can do because you're fully dependent on how that one stock performs. So unless you are an experienced and high risk investor, I wouldn't naturally suggest someone invest in a single stock. I would usually say invest in a fund. So that is a mixture of different stocks. So it means you don't have that level of exposure. And so what kind of ties into that is diversification. So it's making sure that when you do invest, you do it in a way that's diversified. Diversified being the sense of not putting all your eggs in one basket. And you can diversify in different ways. It can be different asset classes. And again, I'm trying to avoid too much jargon here. But basically, there's four main asset classes. You've got cash, you've got equities, you've got property, and you've got bonds, just to quickly cover that basis. But it could be diversified in terms of geography. So it's just making sure that when you do choose to invest, you're doing it in a way that's aligned with your values and with your attitude to risk. And the third point is, yes, in terms of the idea of investing when the market's down, the best way I can describe it is it's almost like when there's a sale. So don't be too scared about it because it means the market's realigning and it means that people, it's easier to enter the market because technically the prices are lower, but that feeds back in under the other points of yeah, really make sure that when you do come to invest, you're doing it in a way that's aligned with your attitude to risk. And yeah, I wouldn't necessarily recommend investing in one stock. I'd say funds to just balance that out. Yeah. And I think once you've applied all of the tips that Natasha's given, just knowing that the market could still go down over the next year or two. So just think long term when it comes to investing. But literally, if you were to just follow all the steps that Natasha's given, then you are protecting yourself from the risk because you're diversified and you're taking advantage of the low stocks, but then you're thinking long-term. Totally. I say to my clients, I wouldn't look to invest for less than five years. So whatever you put in, be comfortable that you can't touch that money for five years. Yeah, because I think people, although investing is great, I think some people, when they just want quick money, they think, how can I take this 500 and make it into five grand? And it's, mm. you could be lucky because there are lucky ones out there. They're rare. And a lot I, of the time we don't we don't know how much that person has lost to be able to turn what the initial 500 they invested into 5,000. Totally. And my argument to that would be, for me, that's not investing, that's stock trading. Investing mm. is long-term. It's making sensible decisions. Stock trading yeah. is very much, oh, I want to buy at a low and sell at a high. And people do that for a living. So I say, unless you're doing it for a living... Again, that's a very high risk thing to be doing on the side with your money. Yeah. Yeah. Natasha, this podcast, I've absolutely enjoyed it for myself. So I know that if I've enjoyed it, the listeners are definitely going to enjoy it as well. I've definitely enjoyed it too. (laughs) It's been just an absolute pleasure just having this conversation. You and I met Instagram. Yeah, I think for a good, think of the start of the year, possibly. Yeah. Um, so really happy that we connected and really happy to have you as a guest. You've shared so much great insight. So thank you so much. And I'll definitely be listing the Financial Times article that you mentioned and also the book that you mentioned mm-hmm. as well in the show notes. So be sure to check it out. But is there anything else that you wanted to add in closing? And also let us know how our audience can find out more about you. 
just to say yeah thank you for having me on i really enjoy listening to your podcast i think it's just so great to to be able to be providing that financial education so people who do want to enter into the space but might be not ready to speak to someone and they just want to get a bit of an understanding it's so great that you've got boss of my money to just help them start to be comfortable with having those conversations i guess in the sense of me i'm hopefully from you've learned today not a scary person i try not to speak in jargon i try to make things approachable so yeah very open to anyone who who's wanting to speak to a wealth manager. And in terms of getting in touch, the main kind of platforms I operate on are Instagram, which is Percy Baxter Wealth Management. I'm on LinkedIn under my name, Natasha Percy Baxter. And I've got my own website as well, percybaxter.co.uk. Amazing. So guys, do get in touch with Natasha. Let her know what you learn and what actions that you're going to be taking away from this podcast. Thank you as always for tuning in. Really appreciate you guys. And if you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to share it with your favorite auntie, your grandmother that you love, but all the amazing people in your life would really appreciate it. Thank you again, Natasha, for being such an amazing guest. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Join me again on the next episode. Don't forget to share the Boss of My Money podcast with all of your podcast friends and tell your non-podcast friends what they are missing out on. You can also subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or any app that supports podcasting. You can also visit bossofmymoney.com slash podcast for more episodes. Plus, if you haven't got your budget ready for this month and need help with getting it set up and creating a budget that actually works, check out this podcast show notes for a link to the Boss of My Money Academy dot com slash store where you can book a two-hour one-on-one budgeting session with me that's not all as a podcast listener you get to save 20 percent when you use the code podcast in the coupon area happy budgeting